Well, good morning. How many of you want to know Jesus more? Amen. Is that, is that what a wonderful way to start just to tell our Lord, to tell Jesus right now that I want to know you more. That's why you're here. That's why we're here. That's why we gather together. So uh, in light of that, God is good. And all of the time, amen. Um, so welcome. Thank you for choosing again to come to know him more. That's why we get together. Those of you who are joining online or will watch this later, thank you for joining us. Um, Kathy and I are teaching a marriage class this month. And just in doing a lot of reading, kind of getting ready for that, I read about a study that began in 1937 at Harvard. And they tracked... I think it's 268 students in their late 30s, and they tracked these students. This is the most uh, studied uh, longitudinal study that's ever been done like this. They tracked these 268 students for 70 years throughout their entire lives, and they tracked everything you could think about them. I mean, their weight and their employment and their health habits and exercise and just all the different things about these 268 students through the course of 70 years, and they were doing that to try to kind of assess what is it that drives or results in happiness in human beings. So the guy who, a psychiatrist at Harvard, who ran this study for the last 40 years was asked, and this was only about 10 or 15 years ago, what was the outcome? What was the outcome of this study about what makes human beings happy? And he said, it's easy. It's one word, relationship. 70 years of studying everything about 268 human beings, and what it boiled down to was relationship. That is what satisfies the human heart. It satisfies the human heart because God designed us for relationship. He designed us for relationship with him. He designed us for relationship with one another which is why we do what we do on Sunday mornings. And we do, there were men greeting this morning. There are people and women and men who meet during the week and the youth. That's why we do what we do, because God has designed us that way, to be in relationship with him, to be in relationship with one another. So thank you again for coming today to do what God designed you to do. Um, so I'm just going to pray just as we open up this morning. Father... Thank you so much for making us, designing us, creating us to love you. Lord, you have called us here this morning. You have led us here this morning. Lord, we just right now stop to give you our hearts, to stop to give you our minds. We set aside, just like that song said, everything else that has perhaps happened this morning, that's even happened this week, to focus on you. We want to know you more. Right now, this morning, we want to know you more. We know you're here. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for the worship. We thank you for the teaching. We thank you for the everything that takes place with the kids this morning, the fellowship that we have. We love you. We bless you. We honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Chelsea. Amen. <laughs> Um, just a couple of quick announcements, uh, but before that, um, kids, it is time for Kingdom Kids, and 
Darianne and other teachers are waiting for you out the back door. So kids head on out. <clears throat> Yeah, amen. Uh, you'll be, you'll love it. <laughs> okay, so uh, what's happening back there actually uh, relates to the first announcement. We really have a really wonderful problem. And uh, Tyler's talked about it last week. I think Kim did a couple of weeks ago. We really still need a lot of help just helping take care of kids. And so if there's any interest on your part, willingness on your part, the Lord is kind of moving in your part to do. Uh, you don't have to have talent. You don't even ever have to have had kids. We'd love to have you just come help. And you can see Tyler or Kim if that is something that you would be willing to help with. Um, Women's ministry, there's just a couple of activities coming up. There's not a slide, but just to remind you, it is in the bulletin. The information's on the uh, website. There is a coffee and convos. That's kind of cool for conversations. Uh, coming up on March 25th, and there is the book club coming up on April 30th. And you can see my wife if you have any in, uh, questions about that. Uh, and lastly, just some reminders we do kind of do every month. The church has an app. And if you would like to download the app, uh, we use the app to convey information and provide information out to everyone. You can see Jordan, you can see Shiloh. They're really adept at doing that kind of thing. Um, we've got a very informative um, website. We have an email list that we use to keep people informed if you'd like to get on the email list, again, you can see Jordan, Tyler, any one of us, we can make sure you get on there. And lastly, uh, just, you know, this is, I was just talking to uh, Kathy a little while ago, and we were talking about, frankly, how generous this church is. We were talking specifically as it relates to the mission trip coming up in Mexico, but this is a very generous body, and we are very appreciative of that to really support the work that God does. And just in giving, there's boxes at, the, at each door. You, there's online giving. Um, frankly, I think more than half of people give online now, and you can just mail in checks. There's all sorts of ways to do that. But thank you for your faithfulness in doing that. Wonderful. We're going to continue in this second Sunday of Lent uh, on our theme of hope. Hope, right? And I, and I shared a story, kind of an illustration last Sunday that I think will help kind of bring us up to speed. You know, I shared uh, when I was little. Uh, First time, first, second time, my parents would announce, you know, very enthusiastically, hey, we're going to Disneyland, right? And then I had three siblings. I'm the number three out of four. And, and uh, you know, as a child, that childlike faith in, in mom and dad, it was a done deal. It was, what, I don't know, two, three, maybe four weeks away. But as far as we were concerned, it was a done deal. And the response was not manufactured. They didn't have to, you know, try to create it. We were just like, woohoo! Right? And, and there was this confident expectation, this certainty that we were going to Disneyland. And out of that hope, right, that's biblical hope, which is confident expectancy, which is a certainty, right, that something's going to happen, that's biblical hope. Right? The world's hope is, I hope so, you know, wishful thinking. Biblical hope is, no, it's confident expectation. Right? It's a certainty that this promise is going to be fulfilled. So you know, in, in some ways, as, as little kids and, and at home, you know, Disneyland and the truth of Disneyland was a certainty. And out of that confidence, out of that, you know, if you want to call it biblical hope, we were excited. We were enthused. Right? In fact, we would go to school. Hey, guess where we're, we're going? You're right, and we're telling everyone. 
Sort of like Disneyland evangelists, I guess. You know, you would call it that, right? Sharing the good news, the good news of our trip to Disneyland. And I thought about that, right? Because Jesus calls us to have childlike faith. I think I'm wondering, well, what, what happened? You know, because Father, through faith in Jesus, Father says, we're not going to Disneyland, we're going to heaven. Okay, see, that's what I'm saying. What happened? <laughs> what happened? As kids, Disneyland, woo! As adults, we're going to heaven. Uh, okay, woo. Right? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we're going to Disneyland. You've been to Disneyland? I've been looking. I'm, I'm excited to go to Disneyland. I'm going to ride every ride. We're talking about Disneyland, 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 right? We're going to heaven. I don't know what I want to say. I don't, I don't want to share I'm going to heaven because what, what, what if they ask me a question? I don't know. And, you know, what if they don't like me saying I'm going to right? It's We have become so bound that we are like this when we have the greatest biblical hope in Christ that anyone has ever had. Amen? Right? And, and what I want to do is, is, is I pray, my prayer for us as we lead up to the supernatural miracle of the resurrection and we focus on biblical hope, again, my prayer for us as a church, whether you're here, whether you're listening online, is that somehow God will just rekindle the joy, the freedom of the hope we have, the hope we have, the confidence. Again, and I know that word it's a tough word to kind of unwind from the world, right? Because, again, hope in the world is wishful thinking, you know, right? I hope the Dodgers win the World Series this time, right? Right? I hope I win the lottery. I hope this thing comes through. So the world, the world you know, I hope, I hope, and I get that, and that's why sometimes it takes time to really sort of navigate biblical hope and to live biblically. So when you say hope, you mean confidence, confidence, confident expectation, certainty in fulfilled promise, right? And I shared last Sunday, maybe it's not just the word, but it's also your experience in the past where your hopes have been dashed, where promises were made and not fulfilled. And maybe you're at a place where you really, you like what you're hearing, you like what scripture says, God is good, all and all the time, you really like that, and you're just on the cusp of really crossing the line into biblical hope, but there's something maybe holding you back, and I want to encourage you to really just let God speak to your heart through his word today, because he may, for you here, for you listening, my prayer is that I think we're going to see a, a root issue of what may be holding many of us back when it comes to our hesitancy to just allow ourselves to hope again in Christ. Okay, so that, that's my prayer. Last week, uh, we looked at this key verse leading up to uh, Easter, 1 Peter 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Alan Carr says this, when the New Testament uses the word hope, it does not refer to a fond wish or desire. It means a confident assurance based on the word of God and the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead that produces an excited response. Okay, last week, uh, kind of summary, we saw that biblical hope is living. 
Biblical hope is a person. Biblical hope is rooted in scripture. Biblical hope is part of our testimony and witness to the world. And we saw that biblical joy, our biblical hope impacts our joy, okay? And I want to look at Romans 12, 12. It says this, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. So there's this objective side to biblical hope, okay, this objective content, which really, honestly, boils down to the resurrection, okay, the objective truth of the resurrection in the historical timeline of earth, according to 1 Corinthians 15, okay, and we're going to, you've heard me if you've been here for many Easter's, I always come back to this, in the historical timeline of earth's existence, according to 1 Corinthians 15, the apostle Paul says this, if... In the historical timeline of Earth's existence, the resurrection did not happen as a historical fact. You and I are wasting our time right now. Go home. Go home. Because according to 1 Corinthians 15, if the resurrection didn't happen, we're still in our sins. And we're to be pitied. We're foolish for being here. Okay? So you're going to hear that. You know, I'll forewarn you, you're going to hear that again, the apologetics for the resurrection. Because again, you have to settle that historical issue. That's why sometimes we haven't settled the historical issue of, of belief and faith in the resurrection. Well, that's going to affect your hope. If you're not confident in what hope is based on, the resurrection, how are you going to be confident in hope itself? Okay? So again... It's a living hope because according to 1 Corinthians 15, and this is what I love about the Apostle Paul, you know, Christianity isn't pie in the sky, religiosity, spirituality. Christianity is based on a historical event. Either it happened or it didn't. There is no middle ground. There is no middle ground. You know, there's there's absolute truth in this case. You can't have the two sit. Oh, man. It either did or it didn't. That's what, that's what your faith is based on. And that's what hope comes off of. Okay, so there's the objective content. And then there's the subjective impact. Joy. So the question is, where's the joy? Maybe in the church as a whole, but just in my life, right? I love this. Thomas Brooks says this. Hope can allow us to see heaven through the thickest clouds. And we've talked about biblical joy before, that it's not based on circumstance, okay? And so today we're going to try to figure out, and I'm I'm praying that the Lord shows us, why are we lacking joy? If I believe that the resurrection actually happened as a historical fact, and that I have a living hope, where's, where's the joy, where's the joy in my life? What, you know, because Romans 12 12 says I'm supposed to rejoice in hope. I'm supposed to rejoice in that. And, and last week we touched on it, and I want to really focus on it this Sunday, is the, re, is the relationship, because they're inseparable, between faith and hope. Faith and hope are inseparable. Okay? Hebrews 11.1 1 in the ESV says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. In the New King James Version it says this, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So they're inseparable, okay? 
Now, you've heard me talk about biblical faith before. Biblical faith is more than knowledge or acquisition. Biblical faith is more than agreeing to it, okay? Biblical faith requires a full investment. You have to be all in. It's an all-in moment, biblical faith. There is knowledge, there is assent to it, but at a certain point, biblical faith requires you to act. Now, you've heard me share this before, and, and we'll do it again. You could do it at home. If you are able, just lift your feet off the ground. Just go ahead. So 100% of your weight is where? On the chair. That's biblical faith. That's biblical faith. You could come in and I could tell you about the chair. You can read about the chair in the manual. You might even agree and tell me, I believe that that chair could support my weight. The line is crossed when you sit in it. And you put your full weight. So at a certain degree, right now, all of you are actually exercising what we would call biblical faith in that chair because your weight is resting on it. You didn't even know that, did you? It's that same faith, the same peace, and none of you right now are anxious. I don't see any of you trying to help the chair. I don't see any of you even fearful of the chair letting you down. Why can't we live that way with God? What would happen to your joy if you actually lived in the spirit with the same peace that you have in that chair right now? despite circumstance. That's biblical faith, right? And so we're going to look at that. The uh, Bible knowledge commentary says, in its essence, faith is being sure and certain about unseen hopes and realities. Biblical faith is a certainty in the spiritual world, in the spiritual truth as revealed in scriptures. Amen? Right? Think about this. When we pray, you're expressing faith, right? You, you have faith, right? We've prayed a couple times already. When you close your eyes and you pray, you're expressing faith and confidence what? That God, someone, someone's listening. And someone's going to answer. Amen? That's an expression of faith in the unseen, Right? When we were singing these songs, who were you singing to? You were singing in response to an unseen spiritual reality, amen? You were singing in response to an unseen spiritual reality that you're a child of God and you, God loves you and you love God, amen? We do this all the time. In fact, here's the thing. I was telling the, the leadership team this morning. There's a whole bunch of cars right here, your car included probably, unless you rode or rode a bike here or walked, right? So right now, there are people going by, walkers, joggers, people in their cars. And they're looking over here, 1290 grand, they're like, man, there's a whole lot of people going to that church for some sort of unseen reality. Think about that. We are professing, you are professing, your car is professing faith in an unseen reality, Jesus and the gospel. By virtue of your car being out there, someone's like, man, that's kind of crazy. 
especially in today's humanistic, science-oriented, postmodern world, people still look at us and go, I can't believe people still go to church. People still believe the Bible. Why? Because it's part of the unseen spiritual reality, right? Now, through faith in Christ, our eyes are open through the power of the Holy Spirit, amen? We can now understand scriptural truth and, and the spiritual realities around us. That's the element of faith. So you're exercising it in so many ways, we just become so sort of routine and used to it that we forget that every time you pray, you're exercising faith in an unseen reality. God the Father listening, wanting to be with you, wanting to take care of you, wanting to answer you. Okay, it's faith. All right? When it says faith is the assurance of things hoped for or the substance of things hoped for, the word picture is a foundation of a house. Okay? So faith is the foundation of our faith. And upon that comes hope. We build hope off of that. That's, what that, that's really what that's saying. Okay? I love this from the, uh, the authors of the ESV Bible. It says this. By defining faith as assurance and conviction, the author indicates that biblical faith is not a vague hope grounded in imaginary wishful thinking. Instead, faith is a settled confidence that something in the future, something that is not yet seen but has been promised by God, will actually come to pass because God will bring it about. Thus, biblical faith is not blind trust in the face of contrary evidence, not an unknowable leap in the dark. Rather, biblical faith is a confident trust in the eternal God who is all-powerful infinitely wise, eternally trustworthy. The God who has revealed himself in his word and in the person of Jesus Christ, whose promises have proven true from generation to generation and who will never leave nor forsake his own. Amen? So we're going to look at this because maybe this morning your hope meter isn't where it needs to be because your faith meter isn't where it needs to be, okay? Because faith is a foundation that we build our hope upon. And so we're going to look at a familiar story and examine this, this issue of faith, and it comes from Matthew. And to set the context, Jesus has just done an incredible miracle. He's fed 5,000 people, okay? Miraculous. And in Matthew 14, we're going to read the story uh, and we're going to examine again. I, I, my prayer is that God would speak to you personally about faith and hope and joy. Okay? So Jesus has just fed the 5,000. In Matthew 14, 22, it says this. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. So, feeds the 5,000, he sends the disciples across the Sea of Galilee. If you're not familiar with the Sea of Galilee, it's about 13 miles long, seven and a half miles wide at its widest point, 700 feet below sea level. Now, here's the thing. Because it's below sea level and it's surrounded by the hills, the winds from the east come over the mountains, and there's a temperature, like a, the cold wind meets the warm water, the warm air coming from the water, and what happens is there are sudden and violent storms. 
like waves are tossed. When you see in the scriptures where waves get, you know, they're talking about being tossed. That's because, Jordan, put that back up. That's because when the winds come over, it's just howling. It's howling. The water's only about 200 feet deep. So because it's shallow, in, in terms of terms, the waves get huge. Okay, so that's what's happening. And it says he comes out on the fourth watch of the night. That would be like 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. Okay, so he sends them out there. Jesus is praying. The boat's going across, and it's quite a distance away. About 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., Jesus comes, and he does another miracle, right? Matthew 14, 26. When the disciples, actually, let's read uh, 22 again. Immediately, he made the disciples get in the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from land, beaten by the waves. For the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. All right, so the guys are out there, middle of the night. Winds are howling. Jesus just comes. What's up, fellas, right? They freak out. It's a ghost, right? I mean, these are fishermen. They know the Sea of Galilee very well. They've probably been in the storms. They get it. Jesus comes walking out on the Sea of Galilee. I've been to, I've been to Israel. I've been on the boat go across the Sea of Galilee. That would, that would be something, right? You see, Jesus, it says they were terrified. They thought it was a ghost. It says, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I. That phrase, it is I, is the same uh, in the original language means I am. Take heart, the great I am is here. He's calling deity. Okay, it's back from Exodus when he says, I am has sent you. That's what he's saying. He's, hey, relax. Don't be scared. The great I am is out here with you. Okay, that's what he says. Verse 28. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the son of God. So, again, he's out there. They freak out. He says, hey, relax. The great I am is here. Peter says, all right, since you're God, command me to come. What does he say? Come, right? And Peter, I love Peter. He responds to the word. He says, hey, if it's you, command me to come. Jesus, God, says, come, and in response to God's word, he obeys. He, he obeys. Brian Bell says, I love this, he says, Peter's not walking on water, but on a word. Come. See, if you understand what's happening there, that brings this passage to 2022. Because every day, you and I have opportunities to walk on water as we respond to God's word. There are areas in your life, if you will respond to God's word, come, you'll have a walk on water moment. 
You'll do things. You'll respond. You'll see changes in your life that only are explainable in the supernatural world. But it's in response to God's word. Right? Someone said, faith is belief with legs on it. Right? Warren Wiersbe says this, true Bible faith is confident obedience to God's word in spite of circumstances and consequences. So question, is there an area of your life right now where you know God has called you to do something and you've been resistant, you've been hesitant, you've been scared, you've doubted? It's affecting your joy. It's affecting your peace. Right? That passage says, but when he saw the wind. So get this, all right? Remember, this is, a, this is actually a pretty, you know, I got to give thumbs up, double thumbs up to Peter. He's the only one that got out of the boat. This isn't a slam Peter story. Just get that straight, because a lot of people slam Peter on this. It's not. It says, hey, if it's you, command me to come. Come. Can you imagine? What's he going to do? Did he really think he was going to say come? And what's Peter? I mean, come on, let's like, let's not, let's like. Peter, he's, did he just say come? He said come. Peter got called out. Now remember, Peter's a fisherman. Peter knows the Sea of Galilee inside and out. As a fisherman, he knows that humans should stay in boats. The fish are under the water. Humans are on top of the water in a thing called a boat. This is his area of expertise, amen? He knows this. But he said, hey, if it's you, tell me to come. My heart's beating already for him. How do you do that? Like, think, what what was going through? Right? I mean, how do you do this? How do, you, how do you get out of a boat with everything in you in the natural human realm is like, what are you thinking? Right? I mean, how do you do that? Okay, my left foot's good. My right foot's good. How long do you think it took him to let go of the boat? I mean... He said, come, so at some point, you got to let go of the boat. At some point, you have to let go of the boat. At some point, you and I have to let go of the boat. Okay? So I don't know how the water felt, but apparently he wasn't sinking. So, so at some point, he let go of the boat and started walking to Jesus. Remember, Peter actually took some steps. Right? But... When he saw the wind, he began to sink, right? He takes some steps, and I'm guessing he decides to let go, and he's just laser, right? You ever have a, remember when your kids were learning to walk? They were laser. All they could do is just see you. Come here, come here, and they're just like this. All they saw in the whole universe was just you, because, Right? I'm guessing at some level, Peter was laser-focused on Jesus initially. I don't know how many steps he took, but at a certain point, he took his eyes off, and he saw the wind. 
and he began to sink. What's the wind in your life? What are the waves in your life? What right now is distracting you and taking your full attention away from Jesus who said, come? Right? And, and it's interesting because it says here, when he saw the wind, he was afraid, okay? So he saw the wind, and there was an emotional response, fear. Okay? Look at the progression. I'm looking at Jesus, looking at Jesus. Wind, wind, wind. Fear, sink. Okay? And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Again, this is another passage, another verse that many people look at Jesus as scolding Peter. It's a scolding. Oh, man. I guess Peter shouldn't have tried that. Look at him. He failed again. That's not what's happening here. Jesus saves him. And he says, instead of, oh, you of little faith, because in our English language, that's like four or five words. Actually, in the original, it's just one word. Little faith. It's a nickname. It's a title. And so Jesus, he says, Lord, save me. Right? And he says, little faith. Why did you doubt? This is a tender moment. This is a teachable moment. He's called, hey, hey, little faith. Why did you doubt? I love that. I love that. He doesn't, he wasn't just slamming him and say, oh, you little faith, what a loser. What kind of Christian are you? You blew it again. He's like, hey, no. Hey, little faith. What a great nickname, huh? Hey, little faith. But the crazy thing is his little faith got him out of the boat. His little faith got him out of the boat when all the other guys didn't. He says, why did you doubt? And what's interesting, it's kind of just left. That question is just left hanging there. There's no great exposition on the answer. And so that's why I was, I was like, they just kind of left that hanging. Why did you doubt? And I thought, well, okay. He was walking. He saw the winds. Waves, storm, got scared. Down. What? Why, why did he doubt? He, things were going so well. Why did he doubt? And I was thinking of that. And remember, this is, he's a fisherman, so he's, he's in his element. He knows this. And, and suddenly it, it dawned on me, when Peter was focused on Jesus, he was focused on supernatural spiritual realities. That's what he was operating in, was the supernatural. When he saw the waves and he got scared, he went back to the natural. He went back to, wait, this isn't impossible. What was I thinking? Humans can't do this. He went natural. And I wonder how many times in your life and in my life, we might start in the supernatural and then things happen, circumstances happen, wind and waves happen, and suddenly we go back into the natural. We start figuring again. We start overthinking it. 
we start relying on ourselves. We let other voices come in and create doubt and confusion. Why? Because we slid back into the natural. We slid, or we don't even get out of the boat. Some of us, we're afraid to even get out of the boat, take one step, because we're so, we, we live so much in the natural, right? This goes back to hope. Remember, living hope, Christianity is based on the what? Supernatural. See, this is this again. You have to understand this. A lot of people still want to just keep Christianity in morality, being a best, the best version of myself, being a good moral person, you know, do's and don'ts, religious works. Okay, none of that requires the supernatural. But the Bible says if the resurrection, if the supernatural resurrection didn't happen, just go home. Your faith is based on the supernatural. And our walk of faith is a walk into the supernatural spiritual realities as revealed in God's word. Amen? Right? How many of you have ever heard the phrase, walk in the spirit? How many of you desire to walk in the spirit? How many of you desire to bear the fruit of the spirit? Do you know how many times you just raised your hands in affirmation of something you want to do supernatural? The Bible says, okay, we, we have to stay here because, again, the church is so bound up. The Bible says, when you, if you're a believer, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Amen? How many believe that? You're indwelt. You become the temple of the Holy Spirit. Okay, let me just make it real clear. What that means is supernaturally, the third person of the Trinity, God, the Holy Spirit, indwells you. Not to just be a better moral person. Not to just be a better version of yourself. God, the Holy Spirit, indwells you to live a supernatural Christ-like life that glorifies God and brings people into the kingdom. To walk on water. You are indwelt by the Holy Spirit to walk on water at work, in your marriage, with your kids, in your neighborhood, on your sports team. You are, we are called to constantly walk on water in terms of the supernatural, spiritual empowering of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Now, we are also constantly bombarded with the temptation to go into the natural. Because right now, there are a bunch of wind and waves on this globe. And there are a bunch of storms in your life and in my life. And all of those wind and waves tempt us to take our eyes off of Jesus and to go into the natural, right? It's so funny. There was a part of this passage that I never really caught on because it says here, Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt, right? You know what's amazing? Where's that question? Where are they when he asked that question? They're still standing on the water. They're not in the boat. So think about this. He's walking. Lord, save me. Boom. He goes, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? And this is just my take on what could have happened. What could have happened? This is not natural, Jesus. (laughs) I should be in the boat. That's natural. You're asking me, why did I doubt? Jesus. 
This is not. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? Think about this. He asked him, why did you doubt as they're standing on the water? I'm supposed to be with the fellas in the boat. Everything in me as a fisherman and as a human being says that's natural and that's what's safe and that's what works. Why am I doubting? Because this is supernatural. This is beyond me. This is beyond explanation. This is so far off my radar that, yeah, I'm... (laughs) Now, what's interesting is the word for doubt Okay, it has this sense of wavering, not being sure. But the word picture, I love this, is that when it's when you come to a fork in the road and you're not sure which one to take. So in this case, and in, in our case daily, we come to a fork in the road and do I go natural or supernatural? That's what it is. That's what it is. And I love this because... Jesus isn't condemning Peter. He says, hey, little faith, you got to the fork in the road. You took a few steps. You just had to keep going. But something got into your head and your emotions, and you got stuck. You just got stuck. And I'm wondering how many of us here might just be at that, you're just at that fork again. You're just at that fork. Jesus isn't condemning you today. He's not. He's saying, hey, you know what? Good job, man. I've seen so much growth in you. I've seen so much growth in you. I've seen so much growth in you. Well done. You guys are, it's it's sanctification. He's not condemning you for being a loser. He's like, hey, you know what? As part of your growth and maturity, I'm just giving you another opportunity to choose the supernatural and to grow and mature and to to know me more and trust me more. This is not a message of condemnation. It's a message of growth so if you're feeling like you're at a place where, uh, 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 you know what that is? An opportunity to grow. An opportunity for expression of greater faith. Right? I don't know about you. How many of you who have been walking for the Lord, you know, I thought, silly me, I thought the more you walked with Jesus, the easier it gets. How many of you have found that to be opposite? In a good way, because the more you exercise faith, the more you keep choosing the supernatural, faith, obedience, faith, obedience, faith, obedience, he just gives you more opportunity to keep going down that road, amen? And so maybe you've been walking for several years and like, man, I feel like, I feel like I'm blowing it. I feel like, no, you're not blowing it. You're just grown to the place where he wants you to grow more. He's just giving you an opportunity for greater expression of faith. That's all he's doing. How many of you now, honestly, would look back just however long you've been with the Lord, how many of you can see and just celebrate, put a smile on your face, how much you've grown? How much he's changed you? The times you stepped out in faith and he came through. Amen? The times you were at that natural, supernatural, natural, okay, um, Lord, you say in your word, you say in your word, and all you had was his word. All you had was the promise of his word, and you acted only on the promise of word. How many of you can attest to God coming through and strengthening your faith for the next time, when the next time was even bigger, (laughs) right? I remember 
I was a young, uh, just starting out in ministry, young pastor, first church in San Diego. And this church had a, a crisis hotline, crisis hotline for a weekend. And it would rotate through the staff where you were the 24 or 48 hours, you were constantly on call for anyone around the country who had a crisis. And they would give you this binder and you'd have, you know, helps with suicide and da, 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 everything for the whole country. It was an 800 number. And it was hilarious. I look back because this is when cell phones were like the size of bricks. They were like this big of a cell phone. So you had to learn how to use a cell phone and you, learned how, you had to learn how to forward it to your home. And then for 48 hours, when they, someone called your house, you didn't know who it was. So you would just say, hey, you know, such and such church or something, some hotline. How can I help you, right? And I don't know how I looked the first time it was my time to be on call. But I went into the church office and we had a, a wonderful secretary and she was very godly. And I don't know what my face looked like. I think it was like terror. Terror to be like the 1-800 hotline counselor for the country, very big church, for 48 hours, Friday to Monday. I'm like, and I don't know, maybe, I was, maybe it was because my hand was shaking when I took the bag and the binder. And you know what she said? She says, hey, God's going God's to strengthen you. God, God's going to give you the words. And I forget exactly what she said, but she comforted me with spiritual truths about who God was. Because I was so overwhelmed and so scared of what call I might. And I got some calls, 3 a.m., you know, suicidal calls and all this kind of stuff. And, and I had to just, literally had to rely on God. And, and it was that moment where when she was praying for me and kind of helping me out, I had to choose natural, supernatural. Rich, 48 hours. If I went natural for 48 hours, I would have been a mess. But she prayed with me and she set my mind on the supernatural ability of God to lead me and guide me for the next 48 hours and give me the scripture and give me the words that I went and I took it in peace. It was still very challenging, but I was at a fork in the road. A weekend of doubt, uncertainty, or a weekend of confidence in him, not me. Amen? Okay? And so I want to encourage you. Maybe God is challenging you to continue to come in the supernatural realm. But what makes it tough, it's an area of your strength. It's an area of your successes. See, this is what made this tough for Peter. He's a fisherman. So walking on water was doubly hard. Right? Now, come on, walk on water. I'm a fisherman. That's crazy. Fishermen don't do that. We, oh, come on, I'm a fisherman. I'm an expert at this. And sometimes the challenge in obedience and in, in faith is because he's challenging us to trust him and lay down our pride in an area of strength. You're good with money? Oh, he'll test you with that. You're very self-reliant and independent and lean on yourself? Watch out. He's going to come and trust and challenge you with faith to let go. So what's your area of strength? What's your area of strength? For Peter, for Peter who was fishing, Sea of Galilee. He had to choose. Maybe God's calling you to trust him in an area of your strength. And that's why it's been so tough. Because, honestly, you've been successful. It's comfortable. You're secure. 
You know how to do it. You know what works. You're in control of that area. And along comes Jesus and said, come. Come. Right? And you might have a conversation like Peter. (laughs) Why did you doubt? Because we're standing on water. You might have a similar conversation with him in this area. Why are you doubting? Why are you so scared? Why are you so anxious? And you got to be honest. Well, Lord, honestly, I'm so anxious and scared right now because I have been in control of this area my whole life. Lord, why am I so anxious and scared? Why is it so hard for me? Why am I doubting? Because I've been wounded in this area. And I said to myself, and I promised to myself, no one will ever hurt me like that again. That's why I'm doubting. So it might be great successes, and it might be great pain that's at the root of why you're doubting. And I just want to encourage you. It's not condemnation. He's saying, oh, you have little faith. It's okay. Why did you doubt? It's, it's a very tender moment. It's a teachable moment. And my prayer for us as I was working through this was, it's okay. He knows our frame. He knows our frame. Just be honest with him. Okay? Just be honest with him. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I love this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Amen? The hard part is not depending on your own understanding especially in an area of your own strength or protectionism. That's the walk of faith. That's the walk of faith. Okay? And so I just want to encourage us this morning to take the time and to really say, is there anything in life where, where the Lord is just saying, Come. Come. I know in the human, in the natural, this is crazy. I know your heart is beating faster than it's ever. <laughs> I get it. But will you by faith come? Will you by faith come, right? Colossians 3, 1 and 2 says this. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Maybe your joy meter and your hope and your faith, because they're all, in, they're all linked, maybe they're not where they're supposed to be because you've been setting your mind on the wrong things. You've been setting your mind on the things of earth. You've been looking at the waves and the wind. You've been looking at the self your own abilities, right? And maybe this morning, the Lord is just simply saying, hey, it's me, the great I am. And in this area of life, I want you to get out of the boat and come. Come. Choose the supernatural. Choose faith and obedience in response to his word. Maybe it's worry. Maybe it's forgiveness. 
I don't know what it is in your life. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe it's lust, pornography, your thought life, your language, whatever. Maybe there's something, and he's saying to you, he's speaking to you, and he's saying, I want you to come. Come. I know in your own strength, I know in your own past, I know in your own reasoning, it may seem impossible, but in faith and obedience, I want you to come in response to my word. Amen? And when you do, you walk on water. That's why we need to pray, be in prayer, sets our minds on the things above. That's why we're in the word, right? Faith is rooted in scripture. And you know what? That's why we need each other. Because here's the thing. Maybe the area that you are right now doing this, I'm at the crossroads. Maybe the person sitting next to you, in front of you, behind you, even at home, maybe God brought them through that same journey. And they're to, we're here to one another, one another. Specifically in specific areas. Maybe you're struggling with your finances or stewardship or forgiveness and, and God brings you to a brother and sister and says, you know what? I was there. And I didn't think I could change either. And it's through the voice of someone in the church that God Bring strength and courage and healing to you. So prayer, the word, the church. This is how we keep our minds set on the things above. And this is how we keep walking by faith out of the boat. Amen? Shai, I'm going to ask you a favor, and I just put Shai on the spot. Can you come up in a little bit? We're going to sing In the Secret. Okay. Look at this uh, quote. It says, although we start out with good intentions, sometimes our faith is weak. In Peter's faltering faith, we can see the path of discipleship. We have to exercise faith to have the power, but often we stumble and fail to grasp it fully. When Peter's faith faltered, he reached out to Christ, the only one who could help. He was afraid, but he still looked to Christ. When you are apprehensive about the troubles around you and doubt Christ's presence or ability to help, remember that he is the only one who can really help, right? Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 in the New Living says this, then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. So maybe this morning, you're just feeling kind of battered. Maybe the waves of life have been tossing you back and forth and the winds are howling. In fact, in that passage, it says the wind was against them. So not only were they being battered by the waves, but man, they were trying to go against the wind. And maybe in your life right now, you just feel like everything's against you. The winds of life are in direct opposition to where you want to be. And on top of that, the waves, they just don't stop, do they? They just don't stop. Maybe it's the waves of your past. Maybe it's the waves of 
getting caught up in what-ifs and worst-case scenarios and fears and anxieties. Maybe it's waves of failures. Whatever your waves are, my prayer for us as we just take a moment of prayer and then we'll sing the song is you'll hear Jesus say to you this morning, come. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens and I will give you rest. Well, good morning. How many of you want to know Jesus more? Amen. Is that, is that, what a wonderful way to start just to tell our Lord, to tell Jesus right now that I want to know you more. That's why you're here. That's why we're here. That's why we gather together. So uh, in light of that, God is good. And all of the time, amen. Um, so welcome Thank you for choosing again to come to know him more. That's why we get together. Those of you who are joining online or will watch this later, thank you for joining us. Um, Kathy and I are teaching a marriage class this month, and just in doing a lot of reading, kind of getting ready for that, I read about a study that began in 1937 at Harvard, and they tracked, I think it's 268 students in their late 30s and they tracked these students. This is the most uh, studied uh, longitudinal study that's ever been done like this. They tracked these 268 students for 70 years throughout their entire lives, and they tracked everything you could think about them. I mean, their weight and their employment and their health habits and exercise and just all the different things about these 268 students through the course of 70 years and they were doing that to try to kind of assess what is it that drives or results in happiness in human beings. So the guy who, a psychiatrist at Harvard, who ran this study for the last 40 years was asked, and this was only about 10 or 15 years ago, what was the outcome? What was the outcome of this study about what makes human beings happy? And he said, it's easy. It's one word, relationship. 70 years of studying everything about 268 human beings, and what it boiled down to was relationship. That is what satisfies the human heart. It satisfies the human heart because God designed us for relationship. He designed us for relationship with him. He designed us for relationship with one another which is why we do what we do on Sunday mornings. And we do, there were men greeting this morning. There are people, women and men who meet during the week and the youth. That's why we do what we do, because God has designed us that way, to be in relationship with him, to be in relationship with one another. So thank you again for coming today to do what God designed you to do. Um, so I'm just going to pray just as we open up this morning. Father... Thank you so much for making us, designing us, creating us to love you. Lord, you have called us here this morning. You have led us here this morning. Lord, we just right now stop to give you our hearts, to stop to give you our minds. We set aside, just like that song said, everything else that has perhaps happened this morning, that's even happened this week, 
to focus on you. We want to know you more. Right now, this morning, we want to know you more. We know you're here. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for the worship. We thank you for the teaching. We thank you for the everything that takes place with the kids this morning, the fellowship that we have. We love you. We bless you. We honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Chelsea. Amen. Um, just a couple of quick announcements, uh, but before that, um, kids, it is time for Kingdom Kids, and Darianne and other teachers are waiting for you out the back door, so kids, head on out. <clears throat> yeah, amen. Uh, you'll be, you'll love it. <laughs> Okay, so uh, what's happening back there actually uh, relates to the first announcement. We really have a really wonderful problem. And uh, Tyler's talked about it last week. I think Kim did a couple of weeks ago. We really still need a lot of help just helping take care of kids. And so if there's any interest on your part, willingness on your part, the Lord is kind of moving in your part to do. Uh, you don't have to have talent. You don't even ever have to have had kids. We'd love to have you just come help. And you can see Tyler or Kim if that is something that you would be willing to help with. Um, women's ministry, there's just a couple of activities coming up. There's not a slide, but just to remind you, it is in the bulletin. The information's on the uh, website. There is a coffee and convos, that's kind of cool for conversations, uh, coming up on March 25th, and there is the book club coming up on April 30th. And you can see my wife if you have any in, uh, questions about that. Uh, and lastly, just some reminders we do, kind of do every month. The church has an app, and if you would like to download the app, uh, we use the app to convey information and provide information out to everyone. You can see Jordan, you can see Shiloh. They're really adept at doing that kind of thing. Um, we've got a very informative um, website. We have an email list that we use to keep people informed if you'd like to get on the email list, again, you can see Jordan, Tyler, any one of us, we can make sure you get on there. And lastly, uh, just, you know, this is, I was just talking to uh, Kathy a little while ago, and we were talking about, frankly, how generous this church is. We were talking specifically as it relates to the mission trip coming up in Mexico, but this is a very generous body, and we are very appreciative of that to really support the work that God does. And just in giving, there's boxes at, the, at each door. You, there's online giving. Um, frankly, I think more than half of people give online now, and you can just mail in checks. There's all sorts of ways to do that. But thank you for your faithfulness in doing that.